All right, this is, if you didn't know, um, this is entitled Last Blood. Uh, we are uh, using the Rambo theme here. Everybody has at least one more fight in them. Uh, we are talking about the fact that our identity in Christ um, comes um, from Jesus and Him alone, but we're looking at what that means, how that fleshes out in our culture especially, uh, how we are trying to function in a post-Christian culture, and we talked about the implications of that. Uh, we're not doing a lot of review because we're trying to cover a lot of uh, ground. So this is from last week, some things that we said, um, but we will, uh, and it's all online if you want to go back and listen to it. But we said last week, um, we talked about, again, Ephesians 1-7, through his blood. When we talk about blood, we're talking about uh, that bloodline. You are a part of the lineage of Christ, and we are fighting for the heart of our king. And we illustrated that first week, and we gave you a pretty graphic uh, visual of that, or an illustration of that. Last week, I shared with you the old boxing analogy where the great fighters don't blink when they get hit. And the idea behind that is you keep your eye open. It's not this first shot that, that takes you down. It's the one that you close your eyes for that you don't see coming. If you go back, and I said, if you go back and look at some of the great boxers of all time, when they get hit, you'll see that they have their eyes open and there's a glove in their face. And they've learned to keep their eyes open. Jesus did not blink when he told us what we were supposed to do and what we were supposed to be. What we have done in the culture, as church, as people, as followers, the reason we lost the culture is we blinked. And it wasn't the first shot that got us. It's what happened when we closed our eyes and we thought, well, we'll never get beat. We were the predominant force in the culture in the 60s and the 70s, and then we have lost that ground. And so um, we are fighting for the center of the ring. In other words, what we do is that we don't think of our, our spiritual lives as a battle, but we're battling. We're battling for our place in the culture. We're battling for our voice in the world. And if you don't understand that you're in a battle, then you're already beat. And we have to decide that this world is worth it. We have to decide that the hearts of our kids and the hearts of our grandkids and the hearts of the people that we love are worth fighting for. And we have to be willing to step up into a culture with truth and fight for that truth. And so that's kind of what this course has been about. Um, Jesus did not suffer and die to keep you in line or make you nice. And I don't know where we got that. You know, church, just be nice and quiet. Jesus didn't die to make you nice. Uh, because some of you still aren't nice. And he didn't die to, he didn't die to keep you in line. Uh, you know, we had the in-line checklist when we had the Ten Commandments. Jesus died for more than that. And he died to give you abundant life. And so... Last Blood Warriors, as we're calling uh, this group of people who get serious about this, they, they, they love to live and they live to love. And they love enough to live by the truth. And we were talking last week, and that's, that was all the way to you get. We were uh, talking about John the Baptist. We spoke about John the Baptist, and we talked about how he sent word to Jesus. Are you going to come? Can you, can, can you come and save me? Are you really the one? Because he wanted Jesus to come save him. And Jesus says, go back and tell him what you're seeing. And the, his, John's followers do. However, when we go back to the beginning of that passage, we found out that John had heard what Jesus was doing before he sent his disciples. So Jesus just sent back confirmation of what John already knew. And the message that was in there was, John, I'm not coming for you. You're going to die. I want you to know, and, and Glenn's here, uh, in the East Coast Baptist Network, is that, that's us, right? East Coast Baptist. <laughs> 
it used to be the Seminole Baptist Association until Glenn decided he was going to take over the state. And now he's taken over the state. Um, We're going to change names again next week. Yeah, like I do. Like I have to do. I can't. I can't keep up. Uh, yeah, um, but we, you know, we don't put in our brochure. Come join us because we major in the John the Baptist plan. Because John the Baptist dies, and that's the plan for him. And that's why Jesus throws that last line that he throws into that conversation. And blessed is a man who doesn't fall away because of me. In other words. This is my plan for you, my cousin, whom I love, whom I've known all of my life. I'm not coming to rescue you. You're going to die. And I'm out here doing what I'm doing. Is that okay with you? And I want you to understand, I say that, and I know you're okay with it, but I also am not dumb enough to believe you're really okay with that. Because I know in our personal lives, in our personal moments, our intimate moments with God, we want God to love us best. Because we know we've been faithful. We've tried our best. And there's something within us that sometimes cries out, that's not fair. God never said he was fair. He's just. And so... One of the reasons I believe that Christians have lost the culture is we, we never embrace that. Um, the quote that we started the whole series with, one of the worst things that could ever happen to a fighter, this is from Rocky, <laughs> is they become civilized. If you want to keep running with the Stallone analogy, um, one of the dangers of becoming civilized is we lose the eye of the tiger, if you will. We become so tame. We're not shrewd like snakes. We're shrewd like doves. We're always flying off at the first bit uh, of danger that comes along. The uh, first time that trouble comes, we're, we're kind of flying off. And so we have to learn to live differently. And, and so um, take your Bibles and go um, to Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Matthew 10, 16. My Bible here. I promise I won't do to you what I did to Dana last week. Matthew 10. She didn't come back this week. I noticed that. Look at that. Okay. Someone read that for us, please. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Yeah. You see, we've got that, we got that backwards. You know, we, we forget that Jesus, as he sent his disciples out, he's saying, you know, be, be sharp, be wise. Because when you're sharp and wise, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden you become a doormat. It doesn't mean that you become, uh, you know, something that, that's not godly. It just means that you know very, very well the arena that you're stepping into. Um, go to Luke chapter 9. Luke 9, verse 20 through 25. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. 
Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? See, the disciples had to learn to live this. This, this, When Jesus says this, this is revolutionary stuff. You have to take up your cross and you have to follow me. In other words, you have to die to self. Every day you're going to make a decision. Are you going to follow him or not? And if you're going to follow him, that means that your life is no longer your own. It's his. And most people, uh, and again, and I, I don't, and I don't know why we got there. I just know that we all got there, and we've all gotten there, uh, self-included. We've all gotten there somehow thinking that our life is our own and also Jesus's. I got my life and I got my God life. And we find ourselves living with a split personality sometimes. And we default usually to ourself and not God. And that's where we find ourselves getting in trouble. And that's the sticky part of this whole call thing. Um, for John the Baptist, he discovered... Uh, and. and and he was killed, it's not designed to be fair or equitable in the culture's economy. See, we live in a world where everybody thinks, well, we need to play fair. It needs to be fair. It needs to be equal. We hear that all the time. It's not equal. It's not, it's not equal. It's got to be equal. There's nothing about the kingdom of God that talks about equality like that. That's not, a, that's not, that's not biblical. And so what happens for us as followers is we allow the culture to infiltrate our theology sometimes, and we just think, well, if God did it for you, he's got to do that for me. No, he doesn't. God can do anything he wants with you if you're his. God can work any way he wants to in your life. He could give you the John the Baptist plan. And we don't want that, by the way. We want the John the Apostle plan. We want to go to the Isle of Patmos. Not in prison, though. We want it to be a luxury resort. And we want God to give us a new revelation in luxury while we sit on the beach. That's what we want. Uh, and we want, to, we, we, want to, we want to go old, and we don't want to die. Don't want any of the pain of death. We want him to come and take us up in a fiery, fiery chariot or something spectacular that everyone will talk about after we're gone. Um, but to follow the call of Jesus, and I'm going to say this, and you're going to go, Ooh. I don't like it. It's a life or death proposition. And most of us have grown up in a culture where we've never had our faith tested, and hopefully we never will like that. But the call of Christ is not a cattle call. He's not putting us all into the same pen. The people that you're going to talk to, the people you're going to meet this week are not the same people I'll meet. Um, He's not calling you to live the same life that everyone else is living. He's not even calling you to the same path that every follower will take. Eventually, the path will get you to that narrow path. You're going to end up heading to the same place, but the way you get there is going to be different. 
And you've got to learn to quit comparing yourself, your life, your spiritual journey to everyone else around you. See, in the church, we've done a really good job of trying to make cookie-cutter discipleship the model. And then we evaluate how good you are based on that model. If you've ever been around me, I've always told you that transformation is messy. And the problem with transformation is most people never live changed lives because we never are honest with God at the start. We don't let God take us where we start, where we are, for who we really are. What we do is we tell God who we want to be, and then we want God to start from there. And that gets us in trouble. And we're never really honest about who we are with God. And and so as a result, we stumble. Um, But Christianity, I'm sorry, Christianity is not a civilized, safe religion where everyone gets to have a happy group plan. We have civilized Christianity. Uh, Everybody doesn't get the same package. Back in the first century, Christians were lion chow. They weren't the predominant force. They were fighting for everything that they could do. And nobody wants the John the Baptist plan. We all want to get rich, get comfortable, get safe, get well, because we know God. And if it gets tough, I will going to quit. If it gets hard, I don't want it. And then what you discover is when you go to church, relationships are messy. People are not like you are. They don't think like you. They don't act like you. And they're supposed to know the same God you know. Why don't they do it better? They don't vote like you. They don't go to the same restaurants you go to. Why don't they? What is wrong with them? And we begin to discover that people are incredibly flawed, but at the same time, God is doing something incredible in the lives of each one. And our identity really does come from him and him alone. But that identity, how it looks, might be radically different than how it looks on the person on the other side of the room. Go, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 11, which, of course, is the uh, Faith Hall of Fame, right? And somebody read verses 35 through 40 of that. Out loud. Please. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. How far? To 40. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. That's the Hall of Fame of Faith. What's that whole living in caves? Getting ca- I, I, don't, I don't like that part of the passage. I want, the, I want, I want the, the, the biblically famous people. I want to be like them. I don't want to be like those people 
in verses 35 through 40 that, that we don't even know their name, and they got, I mean, they got rolled. But yet, God knows what they did. They were faithful. He commends them. And you have to understand that following Jesus is risky business. And we never think of it that way. We never think of it that way in the culture, but it's risky business. And when you start dealing with truth, I promise you this, when you start living and trying to speak truth into a world that doesn't want to hear it, people get mad. Again, sometimes I tell you about it, sometimes we joke about it, but you should read some of the email I get. It's insane because we live in an insane world. One day I was riding in my truck with Caden, and Caden asked me this question, a spiritual question. Uh, Dad, sometimes some, you make people mad sometimes, don't you? And I said, sometimes. And Caden said, why? And I said, I suppose that I'm saying things they don't like to hear. And Caden said, has anyone ever wanted to hurt you? And that's why I kind of backed off the answer of honesty with your child at that point. Because, again, the answer is yes. Yes. Because when you speak truth, sometimes people don't like it. But God's will is less about our comfort and more about what we contribute. And we want to be comfortable in God. And God's criteria is, no, what do you, what do you bring into the table? And see, the church has flipped that backwards. We do everything we can to make you comfortable. Because we know, we, know, we know the business we're in. I want you to be comfortable too. I do it too. But at the end of the day, after you get comfortable, you have to understand it's about what you're going to contribute. Because Jesus didn't die to keep you comfortable. He died so that you could use those gifts that he gives you and do something that you can't do without him. Um, God would never choose safety at the cost of significance, ever. And yet we want to play it safe, and we don't want to stretch the envelope sometimes. Um, God created you so that your life would count, not so you could count the days of your life. Your life is not an accident. Your life is on purpose. Now go back to the Matthew 11 passage we've been in. Matthew 11, verses 7 through 11. Matthew 11, 7 through 11. Matthew 11. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you <clears throat> what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed sawed by the wind? So I swear. You know, sawed, swayed. Swayed, So close. Uh, a reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written. I will send a messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among these born of women, 
there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. See, this is a continuation of what we were looking at last week. We were talking about the fact that John the Baptist is asking Jesus, are you going to come save me? And Jesus says, no. And says, but blessed are you if you don't fall away because of me. Which basically is his, is his death warrant. As soon as his disciples leave and go back to talk to John, then Jesus turns to the crowd and starts bragging on his cousin John. And his summary is incredible. There has been no one born a woman greater than John. Now, again, I don't know how you compare your life. But if that's what no one born of woman gets, I don't know how you and I could expect much more. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't you know, step up to that level. And although John the Baptist was confused about Jesus, Jesus was not confused about John. Matter of fact, what he says about John is powerful. And he's saying things like, um, John the Baptist lacked a religious pedigree, but he spoke with power. Uh, John looked like anything except a spiritual leader. He dressed funny. He ate funny. And it was, it was not... And it was not it was not the norm, um, but John the Baptist had a raw and untamed faith that um, that basically meant there was there was nothing civilized about John. And in Jesus, in his summary about John the Baptist, is suggesting that the greater the kingdom responsibility, the more of a warrior you need to be. And he added this thought, and it opens up a floodgate of possibilities. Um, Jesus lived in a time when Judaism had become domesticated, institutionalized, and civilized, a very big business. And John the Baptist didn't fit in that mold. God doesn't fit in that mold either. Um, read Matthew eleven sixteen through 19. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds." See, Jesus keeps on going, and he's, he basically is busting all the stereotypes. He's, at the core, we are connected to our Creator. We are gu- guided by the voice of God. And it doesn't matter what others think if you're hearing the voice of God. What is invisible to others is visible to the followers of God. And so, you simply can't explain or understand your life apart from God. And when you're a follower of God, you have to ask yourself the question, if you take Jesus out of my life, does my life have any meaning or purpose, or can you explain or understand my life at all? Because when you are a warrior, when you are, a, a, are, are all in with your, with your relationship to Christ, then your life is so, so surrounded and embedded and transformed by Him. Everything changes. You move from information to intimacy. Um, they... The Chosen, and the Chosen, it's, it's, it's fun to watch The Chosen because you, you try to imagine what people were um, as they walked with him and they heard him. But we're different than what you would see on The Chosen television show or that scenario. 
because we have the heart of the king in us. He dwells within us. We have a very different relationship than they were able ever to have with Jesus. And so it is our privilege and our quest to be able to listen and learn. Um, But being conformed to his image doesn't make us all the same. God gives us purpose. He gives us passion. and We're chasing his kingdom. But his intent is not to civilize or domesticate us. His intent is to liberate us and set us free. What did he say? I come to proclaim freedom for the captives. And so for our lives, we think about John the Baptist. And so, and I'll throw this question out, and there's no, there's no answer for it, but we're forced to ponder. If John the Baptist is what the person looked like who was the one who prepared the way for Jesus, then shouldn't a person who's the follower of God, with God living in them, shouldn't we live better than just trying to be good? I mean, see, for a lot of people, the Christian faith, I'm just going to be good. Why do we water it down like that? I mean, good is a low bar. Greatness is what we should be achieving. Our identity in Him doesn't make us good. It makes us great. And for us, we have to decide that you can't, really, you can't really encounter the Creator and the Christ and remain the same. I mean, you're not saved to be a spiritual zoo where the world can come and look at the lion in the cage. Uh, he didn't save us so that people can look at us and go, oh, look at those, look at those funny old Christians. They look like they're so good. You are in a jungle where the spirit roars within us. And we're an explorer where we are on an adventure and we live out an untamed faith. We said it two weeks ago. You're living on the tip of a lightning bolt. And it has to be done with your eyes wide open. And you ignite the places that you hit. And those places change forever. Go to 1 Peter, if you would, chapter 2. 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. 1 Peter would be right before 2 Peter. Yeah, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Uh-huh. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, we, we've lost sight of the importance of the call of God in our life. We've lost sight of what it means to hear the call of God in our life. We've lost sight of, of what it means to be navigating this world that we live in for the cause of Christ. And because of that, then we've, we've taken our faith and we've... And we've regulated our faith, and I don't want to, I don't want to use the word flippantly, but to, to mundane areas where we just don't see the power that being a follower of God has anymore. And we don't realize that there is a battle that's taking place in this world around us, and we have, we have picked a side in this battle. And you're either in the fight or you're just watching the fight. 
most people, most followers of God, and again, it's a critique of churches, and I, and I got it, but I'm part of it. So, I mean, I'm part of the problem, too. Um, but, but we've become very good in church at critiquing how others fight instead of fighting ourselves. We critique the fight. We score the fight. We don't get in the fight. But we told you this two weeks ago. We told you this again last week. There is a battle. There is a race that is on for the souls of our children, for the souls of our grandchildren, for the souls of everyone you know. And whoever gets there first wins. It's either going to be caught, it's going to be Christ, or it's going to be the culture. But that is a very real and powerful battle, and it's taking place all the time. And that's the world that we live in. That's what it means to live in a post-Christian culture. And you have to decide, do you want to step up and have at least one more fight left in you to become that person that you were created to be? And are you going to battle for the things that really matter, that last for eternity? Or are you going to get stuck in the quicksand of never becoming and always moaning and groaning about what isn't that significant and worrying about those things that just don't last? See, Last Blood Warriors are willing to take the battle to those front lines where the battle has to be fought. As I told you, every week in my mailbox, I get all of the information, not all of it, uh, tons of information about the way that Christians are being dealt with in the world around them and the community around them and how God is uh, being pushed out of the marketplace or people are trying to push God out of the marketplace and how they react and how they do it. And one of the things that I have, I've, I've come to the conclusion of is that we've been pushed around so much because we're pushovers. I mean, the followers of God are pushovers. Um, when I explained... In the genius of Jesus series, what turning the other cheek really meant, um, and we talked about that a little bit. You know, for some that that was that was liberating and eye opening, but for some people, we just interpret that as we just need to we just need to turn our backs and go the other way. And what happens is when you give up ground, you never retake that ground without significant effort. And so, in a fight for the culture, in a fight for the souls, the people that we love. We're called fight. Um, in our lives, uh, we have to start moving in sync with the story of God. And when we start moving in sync with the story of God, here's what happens. You become out of sync with any story that attempts to ignore or eliminate God. I'll say that again. When your life begins to move in sync with the story of God, you immediately find yourself out of sync with any story that attempts to ignore or eliminate God. And the more in sync with God that you stay, the more appalling and recognizable those stories that are not in line with the things of God become. That's why some people will look at something and go, huh, not a big deal. And other people will look at something and go, oh, that's huge to you. If you're with me at 9 o'clock in worship service, when we start talking about the gray areas, I talk about a plaque that I saw uh, displayed on a church wall. Some will look at it and go, hey, not a big deal. But obviously, I made it a big deal this morning. And so, um, that's, it's how you view the world. It's how 
you move through the world, and it's how that you decide you're going to deal with the world. We come back. Let's go to Acts 17, 28. We were there two, two weeks ago. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets, poets have said, we are his offspring. Yeah. In him we move, we live, and we have our being. Um, and when you make that decision, um, you... You've taken a step that makes all of your life sacred. And that's what your life is. See, we've made strong divisions in church world. And we talk about it between the sacred and the secular. But when you're a follower of God and he lives in you, you understand that everything then becomes sacred. And so when you are moving into the secular culture, you're taking the sacred into the secular all the time. See, for you, that's not an option. That's not a debate. You are spiritual. You're sacred. You are the dwelling place of God. And so when you go someplace, you're taking Jesus into that moment with you. There's no separation for you. You're making the secular sacred just by being there. And when you do that, you then begin creating a climate that begins to change. And we've talked about this before. So are you a thermostat or a thermometer? Do you just rise and flow with the temperature in the building? Are you a climate changer? Because climate change is a real thing when it's the people of God changing the climate. And you can change the climate. Now, we talked about a lot in the last couple of weeks. I, I promised I would stop and give you a chance to ask questions because obviously I haven't done that for three weeks now until today. This is your five minutes. That's all I'm giving you. Next week, you don't get five minutes. Any questions, thoughts, clarification, anything we talked about? Because uh, in the uh, Rocky movies, <laughs> I, I haven't seen them all, but... Uh, I have, so... I, I know that. But at uh, one time, the Rocky movies, you know, the quote was, it's not how many times you get knocked down, it's how many times you get back up. And that's what you were saying about keeping your eyes open. Mm-hmm. So I, I never forgot that. So oh, yeah. I kind of... I've tried to apply that... Uh, in my life here, and of course when I lived up there, sure. but uh, I never forgot that. Huh? Oh, it's good philosophy. Yeah. No matter how times you get knocked down, don't you get back up? Glad well, somebody listened. All right, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Other questions about this? As I told you, I did get a, I did get a very uh, interesting response from somebody a couple weeks ago from Florida's convention that said, basically, it was like playing hockey and getting bounced off the wall. Um, but but it but it's a it's a body check for all of us to think about the fact that you know we sometimes don't realize or we take for granted how important it is to do the things that we know that we're supposed to do, and to shine light into darkness. And to be faithful. It matters. We think it doesn't matter, but it matters. Um, even the series we're doing on Sunday morning right now, the, the Elephants in the Room, we talk about Gray Elephants Day. What we do things, how we do things matters. 
even things that we're allowed to do, to ask the question, should we do them? It matters. And making sure that when you do these things, that you really are feeling like you're called of God, compelled of God, driving forward, doing that God thing. And again, because we don't all look the same. We don't all act the same. We're not going to be in the same places. You're going to go to places this week that I'll never get to. And I'm, gonna, I'm having encounters that you'll never have. And you know what? I don't want your encounters, to be honest with you. And you don't want mine. You know, I don't want to clean up your messes. You don't want to clean up my messes. I'm confident of that. But at the end of the day, we have to decide that this is who we are because if I understand Scripture correctly, and, and, and you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I think I got a handle on this, I can't find any other reason for my very existence. And the fact that God has placed me here for a reason and a purpose. And I have to fulfill that purpose. I can't find any justification for my life beyond that. Because it doesn't line up with Scripture. That's who we are. When you're a follower of God, that's who you become. That's your life. That's who you have signed up to be. And Jesus is so gracious He gives you an opportunity not to sign up for that. You don't have to know God. But if you do know God, that's what you signed up for. And somehow, some way, we haven't gotten that message. Somehow, some way, we don't understand that. Somehow, some way, we've somehow let that slide. And I think think it's the business side of church. I think it's because we've just become real good at the business side of church. We, we, We care about the business of church. Those numbers and nickels and noses matter. And so we've decided that that really is the standard and it's not how we change the world. And and that's tough. Because doing that, using that model, has got us where we are. Two years ago when COVID came, three years ago, how many years ago? A thousand years ago, whatever. I think God used COVID to peel back the layers on a lot of churches and they didn't come back like they needed to. It proved some to be very weak and ineffective. Some got stronger in the midst of COVID and came out stronger. Um, it gave the opportunity for leaders to lead. It gave an opportunity for the people of God to get serious. And some did and some didn't. Nothing wrong with that. It's just part of the journey. And it's not bad news. It's good news because Jesus never sugarcoated the life that you were called to. Case in point, John the Baptist. <laughs> Question, thought. If you, if you look at the world now, they, they push the bad agenda so much, you know. Kids TV shows, mm-hmm. yeah. it's in our video games, mm-hmm. it's all over Facebook. It's oh, yeah. Our music, they're not even hiding anymore. No, no, no. No, it's, it, 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 it's as, there is a, uh, there's a, a swing, the progressivism, the, the, Yes, there's a, there's a swing now where we're, we're not trying to hide anymore what we are. Um, and, and again, that, those lines, those lines have kept moving back because we've, we've lost, I say we, collectively, the people of God, the call of God, the, the, the ability to control the culture. We've lost that ability. We've lost, our, we've lost our footing. And sometimes it's because we don't know how to respond. Um, yeah, we're always on the defense. We're always on the defense. We're always on the, you know, instead of playing offense, we're always defensive. I, I used to say years ago, I, wanted, I always wanted the people of God to be on the cutting edge, the bleeding edge 
of ministry. And when the culture gets somewhere, the church is already there, and we can look back over and go, what took you all so long? Boy, that, I mean, because I, I, I believe the church needs to be the most creative place in the world. I, I believe that the church needs to be um, forward-thinking. I think the church needs to be innovative. I think the church needs to be looking for new ways to do things. But, man, we are so bogged down with so many barnacles. Ken Smith, uh, my mentor Ken Smith, used to say, the church has so many barnacles on it that it's a wonder we can even float. You know, I mean, we can't knock off the barnacles off the boat uh, because everyone loves their own barnacle. Shoot, we put, we, put, we put name tags on barnacles. This barnacle in memory of. I mean, we are, just, we are just so locked into the past that we aren't able and equipped to move into the future. Well, I've got news for you. The future is here. Um, the, the battle is now. The culture is, is, is now, the culture doesn't care about the church anymore. We're not really a blip on their radar. They're just doing everything they can to muscle us out and get us out of anything else we need to be in. And they're doing it. They're just picking us off because we're an easy target. But when your church people become not so easy a target and they begin to push back, people stand up and go, huh? And I got news for you. When you hear of someone trying to take a stand for truth, you need to be very, very conscious of that and pray for them and support them. And you know what? Because you may not completely agree with them, but if they're, if they're fighting for the right thing, fight. Don't be afraid of that. Because it is the hearts and souls of our kids that are on the line. And so, um, that's it. We're, we're, okay. Okay, we're done now. Uh, so, we'll, we'll, we'll pray. Let me pray. And we'll go back to worship again, and then um, and we'll see, I'll see if I say the same thing at 11.15 I said at 9 o'clock. That's always an effort. Uh, page, somebody remember page 36, please. God, we thank you that you have called us not to a life of being passive and not to a life of just kind of rolling with the flow, but instead that you called us to a life where we are called into an arena fighting for the center of the ring and fighting for the heart of our king. Lord, to be honest, sometimes we're just too tired to fight. We get weary of the battle. But Heavenly Father, we also know that you give us what we need and that your spirit living in us means that we are different and we're called to be different. So God, help us never be satisfied with being less than what you've called us to be and help us to be willing to step into those dark areas, to shine your light into the world around us. If we do, we will make an impact that will last for an eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.